0: What's up, Cedar Rapids? How we doing? This is good. I like this. I feel like I can see everyone's individual face. It's kind of a new feeling for me. I like it. I don't know. I'm Zach Rao, if you didn't hear, for like the first three times he introduced me. But yeah, I'm from Iowa City. And guys, just so you know, just, yeah, as we're like this kind of church network family, it's actually been, it's, it's, this is my first time here, uh, really, Cedar Rapids. I, I don't have a lot of reasons to come up here, uh, ironically enough. and so. This is kind of like I I just toured your guys' building, and um, it's crazy because like the church that I go to, that I've been going to for the past like five or six years, was like the church that's like had a heart for you guys and planted this church, right? Like we we saw a need. We saw so many of like our community coming down on Sundays from Cedar Rapids, and we're like, wow, there's like more people from Cedar Rapids coming to our church than from Iowa City. We should probably start a church there, and even just like. Seeing this room and seeing you guys in these chairs, like, man, praise God. Like, he's at work, not only in Iowa City, not only in, like, big, super, like, bougie, like, university cities. He's at work here in Cedar Rapids. That's really cool. It's encouraging to me. But that's pretty much all you need to know about me. I'm just a guy, honestly. So, yeah, if you go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, start working my way there as well. But as we're doing that, I want you guys to kind of think about this question that I've been brewing on, that I've been thinking on in light of this text. Have you ever been in, or felt like an outsider before? Have you ever been an outsider, you felt like an outsider? Like maybe give you some examples, like maybe it was a birthday party you weren't invited to as a kid and you're like, oh man, that, like, I really wish I could have gone to that birthday party. Maybe it was a class you did poorly in, and everyone else was like, dude, that test was so easy. And you're like, yeah, totally. It was super easy. Like, maybe it was a relationship that ended without your consent. Maybe it was a friend group that hurt you. Maybe it wasn't even some external thing, right? Like, maybe it was something that you did. Like, you messed up, and then some people responded, and you felt like an outsider. Like, I remember my my freshman year, back when everyone kind of makes, like, their best life decisions, right? In high school, freshman year of high school. Anyone feel me on that? I was dating this girl, and... I was playing video games with my friends one night and she just she just kept texting me. And I was like I was like I'm playing I'm trying to play games. I'm trying to hang out with my friends and like you just kind of keep annoying me. So I broke up with her. <laughs> it was like not a good decision. Okay. I mean, ended up being fine, God sovereign, you know. But okay, so I go I go to lunch the next day in high school. And this really weird thing happened because all of my friends that I used to sit with at lunch, they weren't sitting with me anymore. Like, they were like, you can't sit with us, you know, like Mean girl stuff. <laughs> and I, like, realized, okay, yeah, I, that was totally my fault. I was being a jerk. I broke up with a girl over video games. Not a good decision. But that still didn't stop me feeling like an outsider, right? Like, I still felt excluded. I still felt unable to access my friends. Right? Like, that's a pretty heavy thing. And as people that maybe are exploring the Bible or Christians or whoever you are tonight, we have to wrestle with this question what are we supposed to do with that feeling? What are you supposed to do with this feeling of being outside? What is the biblical response to that? What does the Bible have to say? And in John 4, we have this really unique encounter where Jesus is talking to an outsider. And this is really good for us to take note of. So I'm just going to crack it open. John 4, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus, he learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had passed through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there as well, and so Jesus, he's wearied from his journey, he sits down by the well. It's the sixth hour of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, hey, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews, they have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so at first glance, it doesn't seem like Jesus is having a conversation with an outsider, right? Like he's just talking to this girl. Maybe he's just striking up an awkward conversation with someone he probably shouldn't be talking to, right? Like he's a guy, she's a girl. You can't really, in that time period, you didn't really like associate with people of the opposite gender. It just, it seems kind of weird. But the Bible does give us some clues to kind of help us peek into what's actually going on here in this story. Okay, we see that she's a Samaritan, which this passage tells us, like, Jews, they don't have any dealings with Samaritans, right? Like, thinking about that, trying to bring it up to speed for us today, like, what does that mean? It means they hated each other's guts. Like, I'm thinking, I was trying to think of, like, a really good analogy for this, and I really couldn't, and so I I just came up with the United States and Russia during the Cold War, right? Like, after World War II, like, we got, like, these two superpowers are coming. They're, like, not actively fighting against one another right now. But like the tension, you can like cut it with a butter knife, right? Like just being in the presence of an American and a Russian during the time of the Cold War, it was like palpable. You felt the just on-edgedness of it. That's kind of what's going on here with Jesus and this woman. Not only is he a man and she's a woman and they shouldn't really be talking, but he's also a Jew and she's a Gentile. They didn't deal with one another. They hated each other's guts. There's a huge barrier between these two kinds of people. So she is Samaritan. Right? We got that. But the Bible also gives us this another clue in verse six. It says it was the sixth hour of the day, right? And to us, it's like, what, 6 a.m.? <laughs> That's not like that unordinary, I guess. I guess it's kind of early. I don't know if you're a night owl or whatever. But no, like, we're talking about Jewish time here. Jewish time, you would start the day at the sunrise. So for them, saying it was the sixth hour of the day was actually like saying, hey, it's like noontime. It's like the heat of the day. Six hours into the day starting. Okay, and as Iowans, we can kind of understand what what they're getting at here, okay? Like, I don't know, like, today was a little cold, but like yesterday you woke up and it was like, I don't know, 40 degrees when you rolled out of bed, really cold, you got your coat, you got your long johns on, you're walking around, and then like 10 o'clock hits and you're like sweating. You're, You're like drenched in sweat, and by the time noon hits, you're like ripping off your jacket, it's like 80 degrees outside, you need like three outfits for every day, it's just ridiculous, like the weather we live in, right? That's what's kind of going on here in Samaria. It's the heat of the day. It's like 85, 90 degrees. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is this woman getting water at the hottest part of the day? Why? And why is she the only one? Right? It doesn't say that like, there's a multitude of people that came. Like Jesus' disciples left. They went into town. Just Jesus is sitting there at the well, and this one woman, she comes to the well. No one else gets their water at noon. They do it in the morning or the evening? Why is she here? And what, the, what we're trying to cue in here is, and as we're going to see later in the text, is because she's trying to avoid everybody she lives with. She doesn't want to interact with anybody because she's an outsider. Not only is she like an outsider in this context with Jesus specifically, because, you know, she's a woman, he's a man, Jewish, Samaritan, all that stuff. She's an outsider among her own people, guys. Because she can't even get water at the same time that everyone else does. And we haven't gotten to why yet, but we will. But she isn't isn't welcome anywhere. She's an outsider in every way possible in this conversation. And with that in mind, Jesus begins to have this really incredible conversation with her. So she's saying, hey, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. Why are you talking to me? And then Jesus says this, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with in the well. It's deep. Where do you get that water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself. And so did his sons and and all of his livestock. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water from this well, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Like Jesus is trying to start this like spiritual conversation with her, right? And it can be easy in this moment to kind of write this woman off as kind of stupid. Like she doesn't have a high get it factor. She's kind of oblivious to what's going on. But that's a dangerous assumption, guys, because we're actually like way closer to thinking like this woman than we we think. Like think about this. What if you were in her shoes? What if every day you woke up, and you waited until the very hottest part of the day when you knew you had to see no one on your way to get water. And while you're walking up to that hill outside of town, you got your rope in your bucket and your jar, and you're going to the well, and you're, you're toiling, you're bringing the water out. It's, the, the, the well is deep, like deep, right? Like 10, 15, maybe 20 feet. Who knows? She's going in, pulling the water up. She's filling up her jar, And then she picks up the jar, and she's trying not to spill it on her way home. Otherwise, she'd have to go right back to that same well and try to fill it up again. And that was your life every single day. But then you have this guy coming to you and saying, like, hey, if you drink this water that I'm going to give you, you'll never have to do that again. Right? Like, what if you... What if you had this water that you, when you drank like, of it, you wouldn't ever be thirsty again? Like this water, it's so powerful, it's so good, it's so life-giving, it becomes a fountain. You don't need to go and dig a deeper well again, or get a longer rope, or a bigger bucket, or a new jar. No, because a fountain, it's constantly full, right? Like you don't need to put water in it, it gives out water. And that sounds like good news, right? Like, where is that water? Maybe if I had it, I wouldn't be an outsider anymore. Maybe people would be coming to me to ask me for my water. Maybe I could be accepted again into this big community that I'm a part of. Maybe if I had this job or if I made enough money, maybe if I had the right husband or girlfriend or boyfriend, then people would respect me then my life would be full, then my life would be better. You see how we, f- we think like this? The life is like always like this next step of getting the next best thing, a new house, a new job, a new car, a new relationship, a new degree. We think just like this woman thinks. And Jesus knows that. He knows what kind of thinking this is, what kind of perspective that we have that this woman has about the water that Jesus is offering. And what he does next is almost unthinkable. Because this is what Jesus says to her next. Go give me this water, she asked him. And he says in verse 16, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman hears this good news about water, right? Like this, this promise that like, she'll never be thirsty again. She won't ever need to go back to this well to be satisfied. But Jesus knows that won't be true for her. Because the water and the thirst that Jesus is talking about, it, it's, it's not a water problem. For this woman, it's a marriage problem. It's an acceptance problem. Think about like the trauma and the grief and just the the whole messy ugliness of having five marriages and having them all fail. And then the person that you're with now, like you're so afraid of this idea of marriage at this point, like you can't even bring yourself to to marry them because you know how it's going to turn out. It's going to turn out just like every other one. It's not a thirst problem. It, it, it's an acceptance problem. And I think when, when Jesus is kind of asking, hey, like, go bring your husband and call him here, like, maybe that hits some of us in the chest. But I think if, if we were having this conversation with Jesus right now, if like we were at like, the metaphorical well in our day today and we had this conversation with Jesus, maybe he would say something like this to us. like, We're talking about living water, it's great, whatever. And then Jesus says, like, hey, I'd love to, keep this conversation going, but why don't you come and and show me your internet browsing history? Like, why don't you show me that text that you sent your friend last night? Let's, Let's talk about your relationship history. Let's talk about your Instagram. Let's, like, let's talk about that. I want to talk about that with you. Show me your bank account statement, right? Like, show me what you've been spending your money on. Show me your GPA. And when Jesus is doing this, and maybe you're kind of feeling the same way from me asking you all these other questions, is like, this could be so cruel. Right? Like, Jesus is just like showing this girl all the failures she's experienced in her life and just shoving it right in her face. Like it doesn't feel good. But guys, we have to understand Jesus isn't doing this to be cruel. He's trying to get her attention, okay? He's trying to get her attention because Jesus is talking about so much more than just material satisfaction here. He's talking about way more than that. He's talking about the reality of the well in our hearts. Not like just the well that we're drinking water from or the, the, the job that we have to get the food that we need to eat or whatever. And to kind of help paint this picture, I want to show you guys a verse from the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2. So this is like an Old Testament book, super old. And this is what God has to say about Israel and their rebellion against him. And he says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water our problem isn't what we have or what we don't have our problem is that no matter what we do have we're not satisfied no matter what job we have no matter what income or academic success what kind of marriage we have what kind of church we go to the void in our chest it's still empty and you can talk to people that go down these lines and they can reach the end of success. And they can, they can say, I've finally arrived, right, and then you ask them if they're happy. No way. Like, why do you think so many stockbrokers, like, commit suicide? Why do so many top-level CEOs feel an immense amount of guilt for the money that they make? The end of the line of anything that we can pursue in life, it's not going to satisfy us. And Jesus wants to make that very clear. And as Jesus is doing this, this woman, she says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers, they worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, will, you worship what you do not know, for we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. So he's making a distinction here between her being a Samaritan and him being a Jew. And then he says, but the hour is coming and is now here, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, to kind of help understand where does that ha- like come from, from this last kind of section of the conversation they're having. Jesus is saying, your life is empty. And then she goes, yeah, you must be a prophet. Let me tell you about where I worship. Okay, that seems like kind of like a broken divide in the conversation, but it's really not. Here's why. This woman, she's not betting anymore on her own like, life circumstances. She's now betting on her religion. okay. Maybe life's a little bit crazy. Yeah, I've had five marriages. I know I've messed up, but how should I worship God? Should I do it on this mountain? Should I go into the temple? Should I do it at mass? Should I do it on church on Sunday, at Salt Company on Thursdays? I want to get near to God. How can I get right with him? That's the essence of the question she's asking. What, how do I worship? I want to get right with God. I don't know how. I've messed up my life. And Jesus basically tells her, like, you're missing the point. You don't need religion. That's not what he's here to do. He's not here to give us a new set of rules to live by. He tells us we need two things, spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And this woman replies to him, I know that the Messiah, he's on his way, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Like, that's me. (laughs) Do you understand what's happening here? There's an outsider, hated by Jews, hated by her own village. And she's having a conversation about her life, about her religion, about her circumstances with God himself. Have you ever, like, wondered, like, if you could have a conversation with God, what it might be like (laughs) Like, would you be scared to go and say hi to him? Would you run up and give him a hug? How would he react to seeing you and seeing you in your sin? Seeing you in the ways that we're pursuing satisfaction in life that lead to emptiness? Jesus is doing something here where he's saying, I don't want your religion I'm inviting you into being a completely new kind of human being. A completely new kind of human being. One that's not searching for satisfaction in things or religion or relationships. But a human being that has their well, their empty well, ripped out in their hearts and replaced with a fountain from God himself. A fountain that when it wells up and when it overflows as fountains do, it turns into eternal life. This is the furthest thing from religion that we can get to, guys. It's saying, religion says this, like I need to go up to a certain point to get right with God. The gospel, Christianity is saying, God came down to you. There is no ladder to climb up. There is no race to finish first. It's saying that while you were running away from God, he came running at you faster. He came and got you where you were in the life. If, if, this, if this Jesus could meet this woman in the midst of her five failed marriages and her sixth now also unfaithful relationship, like that, that should make us feel honestly kind of good about ourselves because I'd, I'm not sure if any of us have messed our lives up to that extent. And that's not to like, bash on the Samaritan woman. It's not to bash on you guys. It's, it's trying, to, trying to show you here. Jesus is pursuing this girl. And if he can pursue this girl and invite her into a way to be a completely new kind of human being, he can do the same for you. Absolutely he can. But what's interesting to me as I was kind of studying this is what the woman says in verse 11, right? She says, you don't have anything to draw water from this well. And she's like, totally right. Jesus doesn't have anything to draw from the well, but it's not for the reason that she thinks, guys. It's because Jesus didn't need to draw water from the well. Yeah, he was like physically thirsty and like his body like needed like physical water, right? To stay hydrated and live, (laughs) But Jesus, what he's talking about is he's trying to share this idea with us that at one point in the near future for him, he's going to be dying on a cross. And as he's bleeding out, dying on two beams of wood, some of the last words he's going to say are, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Why would Jesus say that unless it was so that you didn't have to anymore? You didn't have to thirst No more digging, no more thirst forever. This fountain that Jesus is talking about, though, like as we follow along this story, we have to understand it doesn't just internally affect our lives, right? It doesn't just like give us this new like ascension of like knowledge about God. It doesn't give us like this um, weird kind of mystical feeling. But what it does is it actually externally changes everything about our lives. Check it out next in verse 28. I'm going to drop down. Just a little bit. He says, the disciples are kind of coming back. They're getting food. They're trying to give Jesus some food. They see this woman, right? Verse 28. So the woman, she like left, she left her water jar. She went into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who's told me all I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town. They were coming to him. She left her jar. <laughs> like the whole reason why she came to the well in the first place was to fill up her jar. John is trying to paint us a picture, right? The guy who like wrote this gospel. This is like her leaving her old way of life behind. She had the jar. She was trying to fill it herself. She doesn't need it anymore. She's getting a fountain of life put inside of her. And then she goes, like, think about the insanity of this. A woman who spent like her whole adult life running away from the people she's living closest to going in the heat of the day, day after day, to fill up the water jug. She goes sprinting into that same town, screaming, come see a guy who's told me everything wrong I've ever done. This is amazing. You've got to see it. That almost makes like no sense to me. This woman, she has this conversation that she's having with Jesus. It's like so transformative that she's willing to go to the very people who hated her. The very people who ostracized her and made her an outside and literally lead them to Jesus. That's incredible. Literally lead them to Jesus. The gospel, it doesn't just transform your relationship with you and God. It completely changes and shifts your relationship with other people too. This Samaritan woman, she goes into a town and welcomes them into the same relationship she's just beginning to enter in with Jesus. And she makes it clear, like Jesus, he, he will tell you everything wrong that you've ever done. Five husbands, not living with one now, and she's getting everyone's attention come and see this guy. And some of them believe her testimony. And Jesus like, will begin speaking to them, and they'll invite him to stay. They're so enamored by this gospel message he's bringing to them that one day he's going to come, and he's going to die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, three days later, rise from the grave, ensuring us eternal life with God the Father. And they hear this news from Jesus. And then they tell the woman at the end of the story, it's like, man, it's, it's no longer because of just your testimony because that we believe. We've heard Jesus speak for himself And now we really believe. (laughs) It's like when you're sharing the gospel with someone and they're like, maybe that could be true. And then, like, you take them to the Bible and you're like showing them God's word and you're, you're having them read the Bible and they're like reading them. So, like, this has to be true. This is the word of God. This is exactly what I needed in my life. They believe that he's the Messiah. And don't get lost on this, guys, but. Jesus chose to share this good news about himself with the most unlikely person, with an outsider. The good news from this text, guys, it's, it's actually that your internet history doesn't matter. Your bank account statement, it doesn't matter. Your religious performance throughout your entire life doesn't matter. But what matters for all of us in the room tonight is whether or not we have a well in our heart or a fountain. A well, one, of a, one that we've kind of made for ourselves, digging into something in life that we could grab onto and say, yes, this is worth staking my entire life on. Or a fountain that when we meet God and he puts it in us, we now no longer have a need to kind of claw for satisfaction ourselves, but we can freely give it to other people. That's what this woman's doing. It's not freedom to do sin, let me be clear. It's not freedom to do sin, it's freedom from sin. It's freedom from death itself. It's eternal life and that's what's on the line for us tonight. Because when we live a life that's actually satisfied and fully satisfied and being fully known, fully transformed, fully loved, fully brought into God's family through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection the sin that like once kind of clung to our lives and clung to our hearts and clung to our minds begins to lose its grip on us. And as we start following Jesus and as we're running after him, our sinful ways that we used to walk in, they slowly, slowly, slowly die away. And eventually, if you're like me, following Jesus for like six or seven years, you'll look at what your life has looked like and you will be absolutely blown away. Not because you're becoming a more morally acceptable person or you're becoming more religious or you're, you're more satisfied in the things in your life, but because you, you know a God that was willing to become unsatisfied so that you could be satisfied. That he was willing to be thirsty so that you could have a fountain. And Jesus is asking all of us in the room tonight, whether you've been following him for years or whether you haven't followed him at all, do you want that? Wouldn't it be nice to have a life that's actually worth living, a life that can be free from guilt and shame and trying to seek approval in other people? That's what Jesus is asking us to do. Let's go ahead and pray. Yeah, Father, um, I'm just thankful tonight. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this place. I'm thankful for these young adults God, that are willing to give up their Thursday night to even um, hear some random guy from Iowa City preach the gospel, even though they were supposed to get Nathan Kalopec, Uh here. Yeah, I'm just thankful that you you use people in the most unlikely ways, God, and I just remember how you you got a hold of my life when it seemed so unlikely when I was in high school, and God, you just changed everything. You've changed who I am fundamentally because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I just pray for all of us tonight, God, would you make that a reality in us? Whether we've been fathers of you for a while or not, I just want to know you, God, and I want these people to know you. And so would we, would we just worship you and would the songs that we sing tonight be a good sound in your ears?